clearly some people standing around me are not fans of Christy Clark. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. We, of course, are live on the lawn of the legislature for this dramatic and historic moment in British Columbia politics. And as we just showed you, the NDP's non-confidence vote passed in the House, toppling Christy Clark's liberal government. And what happens next really is anyone's guess, although there are a couple of, of key likely scenarios that we are going to get into in just a moment. It is a hive of activity here. A lot of the MLAs have cleared the building already. Christy Clark certainly has on her way. Actually, she's at Government House, in Government House right now to speak with Lieutenant Governor Judith Gishon. The decision about what happens next is really up to the Lieutenant Governor, and it is not an easy decision. We're going to bring in John Waugh, who is at Government House right now, awaiting what we think may be an address from Premier Clark. John. Yeah, that's right, Chris. Uh, moments ago, we saw that uh, Premier Christy Clark made that very long walk here to Government House to head up there and speak to Lieutenant Governor Judith Gishon. Now, of course, this is a private conversation, but, uh, you know, obviously, we've already heard from Christy Clark that uh, she will not call for an election, but if asked by the Lieutenant Governor uh, for her advice on whether she believes that the B.C. NDP and the Greens can provide stability in terms of forming a new government, her answer will be no. So this discussion is likely going on right now. Christy Clark says that she will not provide direct advice to the Lieutenant Governor, but many experts say that is actually her role as the First Minister to the Lieutenant Governor to exactly provide that advice. And it will be based on that discussion whether the next person who might be making the walk up to Government House will, of course, be BC NDP leader John Horgan. Now, we are still waiting. Uh, you know, she has entered, and we don't know how, exactly how long this meeting can go. Some have predicted it might be short, depending on what the discussion is. What we do know is that Christy Clark will be leaving once when that discussion is over. She will be coming out to address go, the media, and she will only deliver a short statement. We are asked if she was going to ask... Uh, answer questions. That was the previous plan, but that has been held off until the lieutenant governor makes her call. Back to you. All right, John, thanks very much. And what will be the call? As you've heard, if you've been following us on Global National and uh, and now here on the news hour, you know there are a couple of, of scenarios, one more likely than the other. Mm -hmm. It would be, uh, and I think you would agree, unlikely that uh, Judith Gishon would, would go ahead and refuse to hand over power to uh, John Horgan and Andrew Weaver based on some of the assurances, written assurance, that they delivered to the lieutenant governor just a few weeks ago. Well, it's uh, most constitutional experts I've consulted, and they're right across the country, and they've been watching B.C. like a hawk. They're just fascinated with what's going on here. Uh, guys like uh, uh, Philippe Legacy at the University of Ottawa, uh, David Moscrop at SFU, uh, they seem to be of the view that, first of all, the lieutenant governor cannot dissolve the House on her own. She can only do that on the advice of her first minister, the premier. Chrissy Clark says she is not going to offer that advice, so that seems to be off the table. Uh, she can look at the, the the arrangement from the Greens and the NDP, which is a 44-43. On paper, a very shaky proposition to make that work, but it could work theoretically. And if she concludes that's unstable, uh, she would then ask Clark to advise her uh, and request a dissolution of the House. But that seems to be the least likely scenario to unfold tonight. Most experts seem to lean towards the fact that Horgan, as the second most, uh, having the second most seats, would more than likely be asked by Gishon to at least try to form government and try to show 
confidence and stability, which is her number one aim. The Lieutenant Governor wants to see stability in the House, mm -hmm. and Horgan would be in the best position to provide it. He may not be able to ultimately over time, in which case it would fall apart, but I think most experts think before this, that instability is, is proven, uh, give it a chance to actually work. So it's uh, going to be a fascinating uh, few hours unfolding at Government House and perhaps back down here at the ledge. Well, for sure. And look, let's play devil's advocate for a second. What if we go to a snap election? What if Lieutenant Governor Judith Gishon calls Christy Clark back and asks or suggests there needs to be a dissolution and that we go to a snap election? How quickly does that happen? What what what, po what uh, process does that begin? Well, I mean, when we're looking at the calendar, I would say that if she did that, she'd probably pick Tuesday to uh, drop the writ and we're off to election on 28 days, as is are required, an election on August 1st. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the other thing that's driving this, and I've talked to someone who knows Gishon a little bit and points out she is also very fiscally conservative. And an election would cost almost $40 million on top of the $40 million was spent uh, on the last election. And would she really view that as a wise use of tax dollars when the instability of the Green uh, NDP alliance has not been proven and has not been demonstrated? This is, this is B-roll from before. This was uh, the Premier leaving her office, getting into the van, and on her way to Government House. She's been in there now. I think about 10 to 15 minutes. We're going to take a live shot from uh, Government House right now. We've got our reporter, John Waugh, there uh, keeping an eye on things. No sign of a break in that meeting yet. Uh, so we're not entirely sure how long that's going to, uh, to go on. But right now, I've got another special guest. We've booted Keith Baldry out of the chair. And here is Carol James, who has... Uh, a real deep sense of history about what's happening here and what a special day uh, for you and your party. Any idea at all what's going on in there? <laughs> well, I think I'd be guessing like anyone else, but I have to say that it was incredibly emotional mm -hmm. uh, in the legislature. It was exciting, but it was also emotional thinking of, of all the people who have been counting on us for so many years to get into place, to be able to bring forward a government that's going to work on their behalf, to get on with acting out on education and childcare and all the issues that matter so much to people. So I admit to sharing a, shedding a tear uh, in there, but I think uh, the excitement uh, and the hard work is ahead now. Uh, I don't think you were alone in doing that either. <laughs> right. uh, it certainly looked like an emotional time for a lot of people, no, not least of which, of course, was the Premier who is uh, very likely moving on. So what's the challenge for you now to prove, if you get the chance, that this is a, an alliance that's going to work and be stable? Well, I think it really is now up to the Lieutenant Governor uh, for her decision, but I think the fact that all of the MLAs, both the Green Caucus and the New Democrat Caucus, signed a letter saying that we have an agreement in place with focused on the values that matter to British Columbians, to the people of British Columbia, that we are committed to being a stable government for four years to govern on behalf of the public, I think that should go a long way. Uh, I think when the Lieutenant Governor takes a look at that and sees that the confidence of the majority of seats in the legislature uh, is there, that we're ready to govern, that we want to get down to the hard work. We've been ready for since the election occurred, since we had our agreement with the Greens, uh, and now on behalf of the people of this province, it's time for them to have a government that will serve them. A, a great deal of that responsibility might fall on your shoulders. Obviously, people speculate about what a, a potential NDP cabinet would look like, your name thrown, away, uh, thrown around. 
as a possible finance minister? Have you had those discussions? And, and where's your heart and mind in that? Well, uh, that's up to the leader. Uh, that will be up to John Horgan to make those decisions. I probably, like most of our uh, caucus members, said I'm here to serve you. I want to serve the people of British Columbia. I'm impatient. I admit that. I want to get on with the work. Uh, I think that's been the frustrating part over these last few weeks is everything from the fentanyl crisis to preparing school for September for, for school boards. Those issues haven't been dealt with because of the delay of the of the premier. So I'm looking forward to the hard work and I'll take whatever's offered and I'll be ready to get down uh, to, to get it done. All right, we'll see what happens. Too soon to say congratulations, I'm sure, but I'll say good luck. And certainly have some supporters in the crowd here on the lawn. We appreciate your time, Carol James. Uh, from the NDP, of course. Now we're going to uh, continue to watch what's going on at Government House. The minute we've got any breaking details, we'll come back for now, though. I'll send it back to the studio in Burnaby with Jay and Ann. Guys? All right. Thanks for that, Chris. And, of course, we'll be checking with you throughout the news hour. To breaking news now in Maple Ridge. We're going to go to some live shots right now, and the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team is at a home this hour looking into the suspicious death of an infant. The details still coming in, but there are reports the infant was a four-month-old girl. So far, there is no word on any arrest. Our Catherine Urquhart is covering the story, and we'll check in with her a little later on for an update. A flagger run down in a construction zone. The entire incident caught on video. And a warning, what we're about to show you is disturbing. It happened in Burnaby yesterday. Witnesses say the driver made no effort to stop. RCMP say the suspect then hit a second flagger. And if that's not shocking enough, wait until you hear what she allegedly did next. That's in just over a minute. Well, it's the stuff reality shows are made of, quite literally. Parkour is rooted in military obstacle training, and now the largest park of its kind in Canada is on the Lower Mainland. We'll take you through it a little later on the News Hour. And the tweets from U.S. President Donald Trump setting off a firestorm. What he said now prompting new accusations of sexism and bullying. That's still to come. And if you are just joining us, the B.C. Liberal government has been toppled in a confidence vote. Lieutenant Governor Judith Gishon now has a tough decision to make. Chris Galis and Keith Baldry are live in Victoria, and everyone just waiting to hear whether we'll have an election or if the NDP Green Alliance will have a shot at governing. Yes, and uh, that decision, uh, we, ne- we don't know when that's going to come. And I know uh, somebody who is anticipating that uh, a tremendous amount is Andrew Weaver, leader of the B.C. Greens. And uh, nice to have you with us. Pleasure. W- what an amazing day in there. And, uh, and how are you feeling now that uh, the government has fallen? Well, we, we've been waiting a long time for this vote. You know, on May the 29th, fully one month ago, we signed a confidence and supply agreement with the B.C. NDP, showing uh, that we had a, a support of the majority of the House for a B.C. NDP minority government. And we delivered that directly to the Premier. So I'm, I'm thrilled that we We've actually had the vote today. And you've been pretty honest that you're not going to vote with the NDP on every single bill that they propose. This is a working relationship, but you say and you believe that Judith Gishon, the lieutenant governor, is going to agree it's stable and effective. Well, th- th- this is a, an amazing opportunity for British Columbia. That, that we have so much agreement on three by three parties now 
on so many issues that, you know, if the Premier's willing to say, do what she says, which is work collaboratively together, you know, trying to implement these measures that she now I agrees I have to with. get this ladybug off you oh, right now. I'm sorry. This that, is one of the most amazing political that, moments ever. But ladybugs are good luck. That's right. Well, so maybe. You, you, shouldn't have got it, you shouldn't have taken it off. Yeah. Me. I would have, I'm sorry about that. No, I think it might still be on There we go. Um, the, uh, the, she's, no, it's good. She, um, if she wishes to work together, we can do this because there's so much commonality there. And the BC Greens are, are there to advance good policy. What, uh, what's a key uh, uh, priority for you if, uh, if it does turn out, as everybody is suspecting, that uh, Judith Keyshawn will allow John Horgan to govern as premier? You know, there's a whole slew of things that we'll work towards. You know, we know big money will be, will be banned. Uh, you know, but it's important that we have the time to reflect upon the bill to ensure that it's done right, not ram it through you know, on one day, which we're trying to do here in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a manner, we'll, we'll, get, we'll ensure that all people's ideas are there, you know, not just the BC Liberal or BC NDP, but we'll collectively work to put good legislation forward. There'll be legislation on, uh, you know, childcare, there'll be legislation on uh, a number of issues that are in common, and, and um, we'll, we'll, we'll move from there. Okay, well, again, we're awaiting to see what happens after this meeting between Christy Clark and Judith Gishon, the Lieutenant Governor. We'll have you back for a comment once we know what uh, what happens. But uh, yeah, I'm will, waiting for that one too. We appreciate, <laughs> we appreciate you are uh, anticipating it uh, just like we are. Thanks very much, Pleasure. Andrew. We Thank you for your time. Okay, again, the friendly crowd for the Greens and NDP out here. Back to the studio, Ann and Jay. All right. Thank you, Chris. We'll check back with you in a bit. Disturbing video has led to the arrest of a driver caught on tape mowing down a flagger in Burnaby yesterday. And after taking off, it's alleged the suspect hit a second flagger before RCMP say another disturbing incident involving children happened a short distance away. Nadia Stewart reports. And again, a warning. The video we're about to see is disturbing. Right from the start, you can see something isn't right in this video. A white Hyundai in a lane it should not be in, waiting to merge at 10th Avenue near Kingsway in Burnaby. But police say what happens next is troubling. In my, all of my service, it's one of the more unique kinds of incidents that, that I've ever seen. She managed to get around the side of the car a little bit, but I think she ran over her leg and uh, definitely hurt her badly. And and the, the vehicle made no effort to stop. From there, the driver went on to hurt a second flag person. His injuries are described as minor, but police say there would be one more incident on Wednesday afternoon. We received this, a, a completely different call about uh, a woman assaulting two children on a street. And it wasn't until we arrived and started putting all the evidence together and the similarities between the vehicle and the driver uh, from the first incident and the second incident, which led us to the third incident. The woman is now in custody. She's believed to be in her 30s and from Surrey. Police would only say she was experiencing severe emotional trauma. I was horrified. The first flag person struck remains in hospital with a concussion, serious head injuries and severe bruising. Her employer and industry say this never should have happened. And their job is difficult enough and dangerous enough um, without these types of incidents happening. I don't think people are getting the message, and I think yesterday is a clear and clean example of exactly what type of message they're getting. They still think it's acceptable to go out and disobey the direction being provided to them by a certified traffic control person. A message Samson says they will reinforce with renewed vigor. As for the driver, police say charges are being considered. Nadia Stewart, Global News. 
And check out this photo taken at the Langdale Ferry Terminal early Saturday morning. A driver smashing his SUV through several security gates, launching the vehicle off a ramp. It landed on a docked ferry. The 25-year-old driver was not injured but now faces several charges, including impaired driving. A search is underway in Kamloops for a missing teen suspect. It's believed she washed away, she was washed away rather, in the Thompson River. Kamloops RCMP say the girl had been taken to custody at around 2 o'clock this morning as a suspect in a bike theft. She somehow managed to escape and ran into the river. She has not been seen since. Kamloops Search and Rescue Police and the Fire Department leading the search. The police watchdog, the Independent Investigation Office, has also been notified. Coming up, sentencing for a young man convicted of a random killing. If he is successfully rehabilitated, which everyone hopes he will be, and I'm confident that he will be. Sentenced as a youth and rehabilitation funding for the man responsible in the beating death of Kareem Mesquine. And we'll update our breaking news from Maple Ridge. I hit investigating the death of an infant. Stay with us. Canada 150 uh, celebrations will take place here on the lawn of the legislature as well. They're putting the stage in right behind us. I'm joined right now by Michael Prince, who is a uh, professor of politics at University of Victoria. Very nice to have you uh, with us. And this has been fascinating to watch. Uh, Lest we think the the minutiae of politics is not exciting, it really has been for us. And let's talk a little bit about what's going on right now, because we're still waiting uh, Christy Clark is in a meeting with the Lieutenant Governor right now, Judith Gishon, and Judith Gishon has a lot of things to weigh to really make a call yes. about whether to hand the reins of power over to John Horgan and the NDP. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the key question for the Lieutenant Governor is, is there an obvious government in waiting to replace a now-defeated Liberal minority government? Can John Horgan actually produce a stable government for a reasonable period of time? That's not written in stone anywhere, but the sense is, could there be a nine months, 12, 18 months of government that could be provided by John Horgan and the NDP with support from the three green MLAs? If her answer is yes in her own mind, then she will call on Mr. Horgan to come and to be sworn in as the next premier of the province. Now, they have some challenges, obviously, facing them because uh, one would assume they have to elect a speaker. That yes. would be... that would. Take their number from 44 down to 43. We'd have 43, 43 plus a speaker. And when you look at it uh, that way, it'd be hard to get anything done. So what's the way around that? Well, there's there's two concerns there. One is that you are automatically politicizing the role of the speaker, Mm -hmm. a a position that should be impartial. It should only rarely break a tie. And that was really what the model was based on. But this scenario, as you say, it would mean the speaker would be there as a tiebreaker all the time if everyone shows up. Uh, they'll have to figure out procedural ways how to get around that with committees and work. But that's really going to be the greatest test of the stability and long-term survival of this government is that numerical deadlock. We're not there yet. We're still waiting for that uh, announcement from the uh, lieutenant governor. We'll pass it along as soon as we get it back to you, Anna and Jay. Okay, thanks for that, Chris. A young man convicted in the random killing of Kareem Mesquine learned his fate today. A B.C. Supreme Court judge decided to sentence the accused as a youth. As Romina Dea tells us, that decision means the killer will have greater access to rehabilitation programs. It could have been anyone's kid. Kareem Mesquine, innocent. The 19-year-old on his way home from a job interview when he was smashed over the head repeatedly with a baseball bat in a botched robbery. The young killer has just been given a youth sentence. 
This sentence was a significant sentence. It was by no means a slap on the wrist or anything like it. A win for defense, but Crown was fighting for an adult sentence in the second-degree murder case. The accused, who's now 20, was 16 at the time of the crime in 2013. He can't be named because he was a young offender. By phone, Meskeen's mother told us she was disgusted with Justice Bowden's ruling. She was not in court, but spilled her grief in a recent interview. If it's not uh, grave enough to be judged as an adult, for a the parent point of view would be, obviously, we're not satisfied. We, we would like to have first-degree murder. We don't. Pound for pound, the youth sentence actually carries stiffer jail time than an adult sentence because there's no credit for time served. The big difference is in probation and programming. This youth sentence includes an IRCS order, which is uncommon. The intensive rehabilitation program is only available to youth in the provincial system. It means Miskeen's killer will be eligible for up to $700,000 in counseling, education and other programming over his seven-year sentence. If he is successfully rehabilitated, which everyone hopes he will be and I'm confident that he will be, that will ultimately protect the public in the long term. But there's no guarantee the judge urging the accused to behave and take every program available. Romina Dea, Global News. All right, let's go back to Maple Ridge now, where IHID is investigating the death of a toddler. Catherine Urquhart is live with more on this terrible story. Catherine, what have you learned? Well, this is the scene right now in a quiet neighborhood in Maple Ridge. It is known as the Cottonwood neighborhood. As you can see behind me, members of the forensic identification team are here, along with members of IHIT, the integrated homicide investigation team. Police say a four-month-old baby girl was taken to hospital Tuesday night. She died on Wednesday night. Police say this is now considered a suspicious sudden death, but they believe that it is isolated. They are telling people who live in this neighborhood that there is no need for any concern about their own personal safety. And we will keep you updated as we learn more about this suspicious death of a four-month-old baby girl here in Maple Ridge. Back to you. All right. Thank you, Catherine. Catherine Urquhart reporting for us tonight. Widespread condemnation from Democrats and Republicans tonight over U.S. President Donald Trump's latest Twitter tirade. Tweets like this are inconsistent with the greatness of the country. The backlash he's facing after a personal tweet aimed at one of his frequent critics. And Apple's iPhone changed the world 10 years ago. So what's next? Special edition of the News Hour coming to you from the lawn of the legislature in Victoria, where the Liberal government has just fallen in a non confidence vote. And Christy Clark at the moment is meeting with the Lieutenant Governor about the next move. We don't know what that is yet. Uh, we're expecting that meeting to break very quickly. But we do have some breaking news related to the Speaker of the House. Yeah, Keith. as expected, Chris, uh, Speaker, newly installed Speaker and elected Speaker Steve Thompson, uh, just recently elected there, uh, has resigned. He submitted his letter of resignation. Why this is important is because it now, uh, even though it had been expected, uh, although the NDP and the Greens were hoping that he would stay on, why this is important, Chris, is because now the NDP Greens, of uh, their 44 members, one of them will have to sit as Speaker. So it will be 43 Liberal, 43 NDP Greens in the House. The Speaker in the chair is supposed to vote to break ties, but only regarding issues such as keeping debate going, 
keeping things proceeding through the House. A speaker is not supposed to vote at third reading of legislation because the, the speaker is to preserve status quo. Changing a bill, no matter what it is, means change. It doesn't mean status quo. So by constitutional convention, the speaker is not supposed to vote at third reading. It'll be interesting to see how the NDP-Green alliance handles this. It doesn't mean it's going to happen on every bill because the Liberals are actually going to support some of this legislation according mm -hmm. to the throne speech. But uh, on some critical matters, it'll be interesting how they deal with this. One out possibly is to attach confidence to the vote because that's another way for the speaker to vote in favor of the government. That's a question, perhaps, about this issue that Judith Gishon may have for John Horgan. Should he, should she summon him up to Government House tonight? That's a procedural issue. There's no precedent, and it might be a might be a whole new ball game uh, in uh, in Parliament in BC uh, in the BC Legislature. Pro procedural things right now become very important. Uh, we're all learning the rule, the standing orders that we've never we've sort of ignored for years because they, they weren't relevant in terms of determining who held power. Now they are in many places. Uh, never been more so. Okay, back to the studio, and we'll keep an eye on things at Government House for you as well. And Jay. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, you too. There's widespread condemnation over U.S. President Donald Trump's latest tweet. He's ignited a firestorm and prompted accusations of sexism with a crude social media post aimed at a female MSNBC anchor. President Trump touting his energy policy today, but once again drowning out his own message with a tweet, this time lashing out at MSNBC's Morning Joe for criticizing him. How come low IQ crazy Mika, along with Psycho Joe, came to Mar-a-Lago three nights in a row around New Year's Eve and insisted on joining me? She was bleeding badly from a facelift. I said no. While the show does consistently take aim at him. Well, he's covering his hands here because they're dizzy. He doesn't know his own positions on a health care bill that he's passing. He, he seems confused. It was the president's very personal shot at Mika Brzezinski that prompted immediate condemnation from Democrats. I think it's so blatantly sexist. And top Republicans, many taking to Twitter themselves, calling Mr. Trump's tweet beneath the office of the presidency. Tweets like this are inconsistent with the greatness of the country and the office. There is no need uh, for such uncivil language. What we're trying to do around here is improve the tone and the civility of the debate, uh, and this obviously doesn't help do that. His tweet today, strikingly similar to this remark about NBC's Megyn Kelly, then with Fox News, after sharp questioning during the first debate. You know, you could see there was blood coming out of her eyes. Uh, blood coming out of her wherever. Then there was that Access Hollywood tape. Grab him by the the president expressing regret that it. time. I was wrong and I apologize. But not today. He fights fire with fire. White House spokeswoman Sarah Huckabee Sanders disputing the comments were sexist and digging in. Or doesn't he have to meet a higher standard than cable news anchors? Look, I, I don't think you can expect someone to be personally attacked day after day, minute by minute, and sit back. The uproar comes while First Lady Melania Trump leads an anti-bullying campaign and after the recent shooting of Congressman Steve Scalise when the president and others called for civility. The president views this as a street fight. It really hasn't sunk in to him that he now speaks for the entire country when he gets on Twitter and degrades the office of the presidency.
Meantime, President Trump's revised travel ban is now partially in effect tonight. On Monday, the Supreme Court gave a temporary go-ahead to his executive order that limits travel to the U.S. from six Muslim-majority countries. The order grants access to travelers with credible ties in the U.S. to close family, education or business. The Supreme Court will hear the full case in October. Well, 10 years ago today, the world was changed forever. That's when Steve Jobs and Apple introduced us to the iPhone. NBC's Gotti Schwartz looks back at the device that's altered the way we live our lives. Category of things, the most advanced... These days, you can watch the moment Steve Jobs changed everything on the very phones he foretold. Today, Apple is going to reinvent the phone. This is how you turn it on. A decade ago, the smartest phones meant a tiny screen and a tiny clicky keyboard. Then the tech announcement that changed our culture. A sleek, simple glass-covered rectangle that surfed the web, played music, emails, took pictures, and had a touch screen. We're going to touch this with our fingers. That glass rectangle now copied by everyone, while its app store has given rise to a $1.4 trillion market, where tech giants like Facebook, Uber, and Snapchat cultivate their own revolutions. FaceTime, video messaging, and cameras bringing people from all over closer together, while sometimes distracting us from those a few feet away. And on its 10th birthday, here's a look at the original phone that forever changed the way we talk. It seems awfully small (laughs) compared to what they got now here. I can't believe this is the first phone. Pretty much the same. I know the design has changed a little bit. The cameras are better. I keep telling everyone we're going to be in the Jetsons A's very, very shortly. The iPhone 8, rumored to introduce wireless charging and facial recognition and an even faster processor. And now that we all carry more computing power in our pockets than it took to put a man on the moon, it's impossible to guess what iPhones will look like in another 10 years. Gotti Schwartz, NBC News, Los Angeles. In health matters, the right-wing Fraser Institute claims tens of thousands of Canadians are traveling abroad to get the health care they need. Its new study estimates more than 63,000 left Canada for medical care last year, largely because of long wait times. That's a 40% increase from 2015. Ted Chernecki examines just how credible the numbers are. According to the Fraser Institute's annual report, BC has the highest per capita rate of patients leaving the country and getting non-emergency surgery elsewhere. Specialists asked by the Institute to estimate how many of their patients leave the country for health, and the answer is about 2.4% in BC. Alberta's next at 1.8%, and Quebec and the Maritimes have the lowest numbers. Wait times are the, the worst since we started recording them two decades ago. We've exemplified numerous cases of patients running out of patients. Doug Lockhart, for example, spent $100,000 to have three spinal discs replaced in Germany. He didn't want to turn into a drug addict waiting like other patients he knew. Basically, they were held off for sometimes two or three years where they were on, you know, hydromorphine, out of Percocet, and they basically didn't know where they were. Healthy functions normal. We reached out to the BC Health Coalition, but were told they didn't trust the Fraser Institute study because it isn't peer-reviewed. But a longtime advocate of increased privatization of medical care in BC believes the study's findings. You have to remember the BC Health Coalition is a union-funded lobby group. It's a group that's funding the interveners uh, against uh, us in, in the current litigation on the constitutionality of denying patients access to health care. Public health, not private 
That court case is currently in recess until September. If you were looking at the best hockey teams in the world you would, and, and you wanted to emulate them, you would go and copy their systems. We're not doing that with healthcare. The Fraser report suggests wait times for surgery are getting longer. Now at almost 11 weeks, almost four weeks longer than what physicians consider clinically reasonable. And that doesn't count the 9.4 weeks wait time to finally see a specialist. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Okay, make sure I take care of my knees. I don't want to go through that surgery we <laughs> That's just good saw. incentive right there. Look after <laughs> yourself. All right, the good news continues uh, regarding the weather. I think it's a pretty good week to be a meteorologist. Uh, a fanfare and applause, no complaints. That's right. Compared to what we had over the winter and spring, yeah, no, it's pretty, uh, pretty nice out there. Lots of school for many kids, you guys. What a way to kick off summer with this blue sky. Now, we hit 21 degrees at the airport near average. Inland regions, though, hit, heated up nicely. Look at Kamloops at 32 degrees, and tomorrow will be even hotter. And those of you in Ashcroft, For the fourth day this week, you have been the hotspot across Canada. Today, hitting 33.7 degrees. So congratulations to you. Now, down through the south, lots of sunshine. But across the northern regions, there have been a few isolated showers. That's all going to push out. And most areas will enjoy a beautiful day tomorrow. Except for the sands, a bit of rain and up towards Fort Nelson, a few showers. But otherwise, heating up tomorrow. So Quinell hitting 29 degrees and down through the south, 34. Four in Kamloops, 32 in Kelowna, and down through Asoyas as well. And we'll be watching for you, Ashcroft, as well, to see what you hit. It could be close to 36 degrees across the south coast, 26 degrees away from the water in Metro Vancouver, east coast of Vancouver Island, 25. A bit of humidity, so that'll increase the temperature by a good uh, degree or two. But there's your long weekend forecast. I know a lot of people adding Friday and making it a very long weekend. So spectacular weather for, uh, of course, the start of summer and Canada Day. And this one for Canada Today, Cindy Lazarek sent us this one from Victoria. They painted, uh, of course, some of the pianos in the area in light of the Canada 150 celebration. Great shot. Thanks, Cindy, for that one. Beautiful shot. All right. Double happiness in China with the birth of twin panda cubs. Mother giant panda Chengda gave birth to a boy and a girl at the Chengdu Breeding and Research Base in southwest China. The pigeon pair were born on Tuesday. The female weighs 128.2 grams. The male, 160.2 grams so far. Mother and babies are said to be doing well. And we got the weights in there because that's what you do when babies are born, right? Everyone has to Everyone know has the, the tale of the tape as Squire. Yeah, that's right. Is that straw weight? Is that paper weight? What will, what will they be fighting in? That's right. Okay, so the Canucks free agency is on Canada Day. That's when the NHL starts free agency. Here's a guy that Canucks would like to sign as a free agent. Friday, there's a chance. Atkinson down ball between the St. Louis Pack scores. Got you. And Sam Gagne isn't all the Canucks want. We will give you their wish list. And then, pushing the limits is a test of physical and mental strength. We explore the sport of parkour when we come back. I'm not used to this side. The B.C. Liberal government has fallen in a confidence vote. That happened, uh, oh, about an hour ago, and we are still waiting uh, for word from the Lieutenant Governor, Judith Gishon, about what the next move is going to be. She's meeting at the moment with... Premier Christy Clark, who uh, 
is expected to resign, yeah. and then she'll have a decision to make. Yeah, and a lot of people waiting with us here on the front line of the legislature, including a lot of NDP MLAs, are wondering mm-hmm. around. True. Uh, any word yet? What's going on? They're all anxious, I think, to get to a, a bar and celebrate uh, with an anticipated victory here in terms of being asked to form government. But they're not there yet. And Judith Gishon and Christy Clark have spent, I think, longer with each other than a lot of us had anticipated, coming up almost an hour. And uh, standing outside Government House waiting for the latest word is our reporter, John Waugh. John, what's it been like? There's got to be a sense of uh, anticipation there as well for an answer about what's next. Yeah, that's right. Everyone is pretty much watching the clock. You know, it's just been over 50 minutes since uh, Premier Christy Clark entered the doors of Government House to speak with Judith Guichon. Uh, there's a lot of spectators here at Government House as well, and all of them have been asking members of the media, you know, what's taking so long? What could she possibly say? Well, you know, the answer to that is uh, she's expected to say quite a bit, and I think the main objective anyone would guess is uh, for Christy Clark to if somehow ensure that she's going to be the only one who's going to be making a visit to Government House today. Uh, of course, you know, if that's not the case, and BC NDP leader John Horgan is brought forward and summoned by the Lieutenant Governor, of course, that gives him an opportunity to plead his case and to explain to the Lieutenant Governor why he believes, with his alliance with the BC NDPs and the Greens, he can bring stability to the BC legislature moving forward. So, once again, there's a lot of anticipation on exactly what is going to happen. We of course, do not exactly know. This is a private conversation, exactly what's being said. We have to wait for Premier Christy Clark to come out here and address the media herself before we get those answers. Chris, Keith? All right, thanks very much, John. And uh, yeah, she may or may not take questions, depending on what she gets from Judith Gishon. But uh, yeah, I I think the longer this goes on... would it make the NDP Greens a little more oh, yeah. nervous? I think uh, the longer this meeting continues, uh, the more nervous the Greens and the NDP become because uh, a lot everything's riding on this. I think their best hopes were, well, you know, a short, perfunctory meeting, and then she calls John Horgan. If this phone call isn't coming to John Horgan uh, anytime soon, I think the New Democrats and the Greens start to get a little apprehensive about what those two are talking about right now because it may not be involving them. Well, we wait like the rest of the province, and we'll throw it back over to John as quickly as we can. The moment she steps out of Government House, we'll bring you the latest. But for now, back to the studio with Ann Jay and Squire, too. All right. Thank you, Chris and Keith. We'll check back with you momentarily. Uh, all right. A couple of days away from free agency. Yeah, it's not going to be big and splashy for the no. Canucks. No. Not too I mean, active? They'll be active. They'll get in the free agent pool. It just will only be the shallow end. Mm-hmm. Okay. They won't go deep this year. No. They went deep last year with Louis Erickson. Louis Erickson, the gift that hasn't given. I wonder if the Canucks would like a do-over on Louis Erickson. Six years, six million per year. That's what they paid Louis Erickson last year in free agency. Mind you, maybe more shifts alongside the Sedins might help his cause. Uh, no, Vancouver has a very definitive low-salary shopping list this year. And they only want guys who are in their 20s. But they will make an exception for 36-year-old goalie Ryan Miller if he wants to come back. But as we said yesterday, there are rumors he will rather be an Anaheim Duck. Cullen for Crosby, trying to go through the defense, now gets a pass on Hornquist, centers, oh what a save by Miller off Hornquist. It looks more and more like the Canucks will be in the market for a free agent goalie come July 1st. Plan A was to re-sign Ryan Miller, but it looks like Anaheim has the inside track. Miller's wife is an actress and based in L.A., and the Ducks need a veteran presence for 23-year-old starter John Gibson. 
when we talked to him at the end of the year, um, you know, we talked about, you know, him exploring the opportunity to be closer with his family. Um, so, but I guess we'll find that out on July 1st. That likely means Jacob Markstrom will be the starter. As for a possible backup, most of the goalies in free agency are 30-somethings, which is something the Canucks want to avoid. We'll see what's out there in the market. And if, if we feel like we can bring in a younger goalie that's, you know, just kind of coming into his own, um, that can support Jacob and compete for him, you know, uh, for the net a little bit, and that's what we'd love to do. The Canucks were 29th in goals last year, so they are desperate for any kind of help. North Van product Jordan Wheel is just 25, and this could be the opportunity he needs. He's only played 37 career NHL games. And the Canucks also have interest in Sam Gagne, the 10-year veteran who set career highs with 18 goals and 50 points last year in Columbus. Here's a shot, Gagne scores! You know, he's played a lot of NHL games already. He had a real good season last year. Uh, so, like, you know, we're going to wait till the first and talk to their agents, and hopefully, you know, that's something we can get done. If the price is right, the Canucks hope to have a few more offensive weapons come July 1st. Very delayed global sports. 1,400 fans last night watched lane four, four from the right. That's Andre de Grasse in the 100-meter final at the uh, Harry Jerome meet, and he won, of course. His time was 10.17 seconds, and afterwards he was mobbed and surrounded by kids like Robin Williams and Hook. But he doesn't mind it. Good guy. Off to the Canadian Championships in Ottawa now. Kevin Pillar, Ezekiel Carrera hugging him, and Jose Bautista, the Jays outfield tonight against the Orioles. It's another Pillar moment of greatness and fearlessness. There's a wall coming, but he doesn't care. That's a good grab, but not a good game for the Jays. They lose 2-0 to the Baltimore Orioles tonight. There you go. Frustrating team, right? Can't they get can't. The 500. Well, and it's all about home runs with that team. Big yeah. swings, big swings. They got to play more station yeah. to station. There you go. All right. This next story. Every time oh. I think about, it, I think of Steve Carell in the office and the guys doing it in that one episode. <laughs> Our new favorite sport. Parkour. When we come back. Coming up on ET Canada, we are sitting down with all the biggest names in country music. Keith Urban, Rascal Flats, Florida Georgia Line, and many, many more. Join us for ET Canada Presents Country Music Superstars, brought to you by Chevrolet. That is coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you. Well, Langley City is the place now to jump, flip, and roll. <laughs> That's right. The biggest outdoor parkour facility in Canada opened today, and we sent our Paul Johnson to test it out. In Langley, the cool kids are head over heels for their new park. I'll probably be here every weekend. Here is the new addition to Langley's Penzer Park. What looks like a jumble of ankle spraining obstacle courses is actually the field of play for one of the coolest sports you've never heard of, parkour. And if day one in Langley is any indication, it's got a big future. Parkour was invented by members of the French military as an agility and balance discipline. And the cool thing about it is there's no set rules. You can do whatever you want, so even middle-aged dudes can get in on this. 
You've seen a version of parkour in any number of cliffhangers, including most opening sequences in the James Bond movies. So where does a stuntman perfect an art like that? You're going to have your foot on your wall and you're going to be here. A parkour setup like the new one in Langley would certainly do. Built with money from the city and a grant from Ottawa, it's one of the newest and best in the country. Even some of the veterans are raving about it. This is by far the best park I've been to. I didn't know about parkour until about a year ago. Jeff Mallory is the City of Langley official who led the project. He's thrilled to see kids put down their screens and get out and test their bodies. I've been in parks for 27 years. This is the most impactful uh, park I think a community can have. Just in case they start looking for the next 007, Langley might have someone to offer soon. It's really awesome that it was built just in time for summer break. Paul Johnson, Global News. Well, it looks like fun, but I'll stick to just running on the <laughs> Yeah, wall. right. Good to see Paul try it out, yeah. though. It's very agile. He had for a, effort. He had a stunt double in there on the one shot <laughs> by the looks of it. Well, it's been a historic day around here, and we want to throw it back to our Chris Galis, who's on the lawn of the legislature. Yeah, Chris, everyone waiting to hear what the lieutenant governor decides whether NDP leader John Horgan will be called to government house tonight. That's right. Judith Gishon might feel like she's on a balance beam of sorts, I guess, weighing the benefits of of handing uh, power over to John Horgan and the NDP and Green Alliance yeah. or sending the province off to another election, which nobody seems to want. And she's having a long conversation with Christy Clark. They've been in there more than an hour now. Uh, Christy Clark arrived at Government House more than an hour uh, ago. Uh, again, hard to read this in terms of tea leaves. What does this mean? Does it mean that they're actually having a serious conversation about... Uh, about an election, or is it about uh, are talking about whether the Green uh, NDP alliance can actually provide stability? Uh, Clark has maintained that that won't provide stability, and that's what the lieutenant governor has to be looking for. Again, we're still an empty staircase at uh, Government House as the media gathered there, anxiously awaiting, and we think they're anxious. If you're a New Democrat MLA uh, and supporter, you got to be anxious as well, because the longer this takes, the more uncertainty, of course, uh, it, it continues to be. In some ways, she'll give us the best clue, because if she comes out and makes a comment and takes any questions, then we'll know that Judith Gishon has given her an answer and she'll be responding to that if she doesn't and then comes back to her office here and hangs around. Uh, it may be an indication that Judith Gishon wants to talk to Mr. Horgan first before she announces publicly what her intentions are. Again, it's hard to read this in, in terms of, uh, of uh, Christie's meeting with uh, Christie Clark's meeting with Gishon, but uh, again, you would think that all, all the questions will have been answered in a long meeting like that that Gishon is having with Clark. So presumably, uh, all the questions are there, and if she does call Horgan, um, you know, I'd, maybe she calls Clark back. We talked before, the only reason she'd call Clark back necessarily would be if uh, she wants Clark to request a dissolution of the House because she can't dissolve it on her own. But again, fascinating time. And mm -hmm. I don't think a lot of people, even though we're, this is all brand new for us, I don't think a lot of people expected this first meeting, if it's a first meeting with Clark and Gishon, to be this long. It's a, uh, it was a poignant moment when Christy Clark walked out of the chamber. We're going to show you that moment. We're going to mm -hmm. pick up our continuing coverage on BC1 of this historic and dramatic day here in Victoria as the Liberal government fails. And our coverage will continue, we hope, with an answer from the Lieutenant Governor coming up. Speaker, we're wondering what you have to say to the people of British Columbia.